Hi, everyone, and welcome to the sixth panel in the Film Music Media Symposium 2023 series. Today, we're talking to composers to discuss how they create musical themes that not only complement the story, but also enhance the emotional journey for the audience. So please uh, join me in wel welcoming our panelists. Uh, first up, she is a composer, producer, songwriter, and artist known for projects like Better at Texting, Deathloop, Deja Vu, Fortnite Paradise, Sondheim series. Please welcome Alexander Tchaikovsky, or Alex, as you said. <laughs> Yeah, hey, I'm in trouble. Yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call me, honestly. Totally, I've been called so many things. Um, so happy to be here. Thank you for having yes. me. Thanks for joining. Uh, next up, he is uh, the composer behind uh, Joanna and List, uh, Cobra Kai 2, Dojo Rising, Dojo's Rising. Please welcome Dan Light. Hey, Dan. Hey, how's it going? Good to be good, here. Good. Good. Thanks for being here. Um, next up, she is an artist and composer known for her work on Three Ways. Please welcome Emily uh, Sankofa. Hello. <laughs> nice to be. Thank you. Thank you for having yes. me. Yes. Thanks for being here. And last but not least, he is the composer behind Till Jail Do Us Part and Netflix is the se uh, secret of the Greco family. Please welcome Juan Carlos Enriquez. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having me. Excited to be Thanks here. Thanks for being here. All right. So to start off, um, I love knowing people's kind of origin stories, kind of the that catalyst, the catalyst moment in your life that triggered this interest in the careers that you have today I'm, I'm wondering if there was anything uh like a film or tv score or maybe it was something else outside of film and television that triggered your uh love for music that kind of brought you into this path so i'm curious if you have that kind of moment in your life and what was it and um emily if you want to start us off with the conversation Ooh, yeah amazing so yeah so um what's interesting about my journey is number one i've been a musician and just been in music literally since i was two um which i started off singing in the choir in church uh oh. was a drummer in church played in multiple ensembles from literally elementary school all the way through college um, but what got me interested in film was um, I took a class or I was a music recording major in college and um, close to the end of my time in school, I had a professor listen to an assignment and he's like, your work is really cinematic. I think that you mm -hmm. should, you know, investigate film scoring. And so from there, um, I kind of just went ahead and did that and went to SCAD and explored uh, film scoring, production sound, post-production sound, everything, sound design, film music. Um, yeah. And that's kind of, you know, what, what led me here. But I mean, subconsciously, I think film music was always um, in my sphere. Um, my mom played violin, so she was always playing a lot of classical works for me growing up. Um, Peter and the Wolf is really where I learned motifs um, without realizing it. So yeah, it's it's been in me and around me for a long time, but that was like the point at which I got the light bulb. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it seems like yeah, you're surrounded from the from <laughs> you were it, you couldn't escape it. I feel like <laughs> um, Alex, how about yourself? <laughs> um, but uh, before I launch in, I love Peter and the Wolf. That's awesome. Um, yeah, <laughs> so good. Um, yeah, uh, well, uh, my journey has been a little zig, a little zag. Uh, nothing I, f I find, at least for me, um, on my journey thus far, nothing has been necessarily direct and straightforward. There is the zig and the zag. Yeah. Um, so I'm no exception to this. Uh, my background came from a very classically steeped um, landscape. Uh, I'm a piano player. That's my primary instrument. Um, and so I went through the Royal Conservatory of Music grades uh, for piano. And then um, I did my Bachelor of Music, Master's of Music. It was like, can't shake this gal. She can't leave the music vein. Um, I'm not really good at anything else, though. So I go, thank you. Um, and uh, I grew up in a very musical household in general, too. And I think for me, music was always it was just kind of always at the forefront of what I wanted to do. Um, it was never yeah. really a question. And I was fortunate enough, my dad uh, had a music studio. He was a music producer. So I grew up, I was that very weird, introverted, I'm still kind of introverted, um, <laughs> kid with the mushroom cut, you know, like the, the bowl cut haircut. And you have like a plethora of musicians coming in and out of the, the house space. Um, and I just think from an early age, I was kind of exposed to it. It was very uh, fortunate. I think it's only in hindsight you realize, oh, not everyone necessarily did that. 
Um, yeah. that's not the standard necessarily. So definitely very grateful for that. But yeah, and I I think, gosh, there's a lot of film and TV. I love multimedia. I love film and TV. I think safe to say probably all of us, I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe all of us enjoy <laughs> film and TV. Um, and so, but for me, like Ennio Morricone, like Cinema Paradiso, I oh, guess, yeah. one of the first kind of iconic, you know, you're you're watching it. I, I watched it with my dad too. So there was this whole other layer of like uh, emotional intensity. So anyway, for me, and my mom too, I feel bad. I feel like I've neglected. My mom's very musical. She's she's like, doesn't do it professionally. Um, But yeah, so yeah. I guess that's a little bit about my journey. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, no, that's that's amazing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, any, any Marconi, of course, will trigger anything. <laughs> All uh, the changes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Juan, how about yourself, Todd? Uh, what, what started your journey? <laughs> I will say that um, after watching Jurassic Park, I was just like mind blown about that score. Like how yeah. could someone do that kind of beautiful music about dinosaurs? I was like, it was unreal uh, at the time for me. And and then growing up in Guadalajara, Mexico, um, we will get all the blockbusters. We don't get the indie films. We don't, we all, always get Bruce Willis and and all the the big blockbusters so i was a fan of just movies in general going with my parents to the movie theater with friends and i was also a a, a big dvd buyer so i would like watch all the behind the scenes of everything all the time like sometimes even before the movie watching the movie i would just go watch the behind the scenes first and i i got interested because of that in the film scoring career uh, to the dismay of my parents because my mom is a doctor and my dad is an engineer businessman so i was supposed to be a doctor uh so so <laughs> i researched and re realized i could study this at berkeley college of music in boston so i got my mindset into going there and pursuing this career so i'm still going at it that's awesome yeah i remember seeing jurassic park in the theaters and i had the they had like a, a kid's like storybook or something and i literally was just checking to make sure the scenes were matching up with like whatever the skills <laughs> are <laughs> Um, Dan, how about yourself? <laughs> yes, yeah, so you know, I I grew up uh, playing guitar, you know, from a young age, from around nine, and I was always, you know, I was like rocking out to Pink Floyd uh, as like a twelve and thirteen year old, and that was kind of how like my musical journey began. Um, you know, I studied music in school, and after school, I came out to LA uh, with the intent to, you know, my original thought was I was going to produce pop music, and that was the thing I wanted to do. That's what I came here to do. I never really even knew film composing was a thing you could do. You know, I never really met a film composer, to be honest. I mean, I grew up on the East Coast, uh, and I'm sure, you know, anyone here who didn't grow up in LA, maybe it's like, you know, you don't always meet a film composer is like walking down the street or know what that looks like, or, oh, you can have like a real job kind of, you know, this is like a, you can be a musician, but it's like, this is a job too, you know? And so when I came out here, I met all these, you know, amazing composers and people who had been doing this for a living. And I was like, oh, wow this is screw the screw the pop music you know this is this is what i want to do like i i love it because I've, I've been you know a huge film fan uh my whole life as well you know and i think one of the some of the scores that really kind of set a lot of this off for me and this was around the time i started to kind of get into this was um uh some hans zimmer scores in specific actually i think the score to inception that cue time at the end uh when i heard that around i think it was like 2010 I don't know that was something kind of like a little bit of a light bulb moment because it was like, oh, you can make an amazing film score, but you don't have to necessarily be John Williams uh, to do it or it doesn't have to sound like that. It was sort of like a little bit of a light bulb moment. Um, yeah. So that's kind of what what got me into yeah. doing all I'm, this. I'm, I'm, I know you're saying I'm from Maryland, so I'm on the East Coast and yeah, we went to film school and then again, Hans Zimmer was a big thing for me. I'm not a composer, but it pushed me into film school and all that stuff. So I remember growing up on like The Rock and yeah, know, Crimson yeah. Tide and stuff like the 90s Bruckheimer stuff. Oh, absolutely. Like, <laughs> for like a 12 year old, a nine year old boy, it was just like. <laughs> 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 but um, so let's, I'm going to jump in and talk to everybody uh, individually, but I, I want to start off uh, with Juan, Carlo, Juan Carlos. Uh, I'll just start off the conversation uh, with your work uh, until Jail 2 is part. You recently gave Film Music Media an amazing behind-the-scenes look at your score for the show, so thank you for that amazing uh, glimpse into your process. Uh, and if people haven't seen it, I'll put a link in the description below, so be sure to check that out. But I'm curious, how did you approach scoring the theme, and as it plays such an important role throughout the entire series? I'm curious what your kind of approach to that was. Right. Well, uh, to demo for that show, I was asked by the showrunners to come up with a theme 
after mm -hmm. my initial interview. So I was freaking out and trying to distill the essence of 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 the show based on scripts uh, that are based. And the show is about uh, this group of uh, women who their husbands are jailed because they're part of an organized crime in Miami and they don't like each other, but suddenly have to work together to survive in this new stage in their lives. And it's a dark comedy. Uh, so I had to reference like Miami and the high glamour of like people with a lot of money in Miami and also Latin. Uh, so I ended up um, writing a very playful theme that was the essence of the, the woman working together. Uh, it's like the team theme instead yeah. of uh, a particular character. So every time the, they're working together, uh, the team appears. And I I arrange it in different ways, emotionally, playful, uh, tense throughout the series, and it became a very recurrent um, uh, character in the film. The tricky thing is that I went I went very chromatic. So for my musician and composer friends, it's very hard to make something chromatic sound emotional. So I I really struggle with the with that. I put myself in a in a corner with that decision, but but also gave it a very playful and maybe not the usual latin theme to it so so that was a very playful um i i had to put myself in a very playful mindset to come up with that theme yeah i mean but did you know that you were gonna have to do those variations of changing it throughout the series did you kind of you mentioned that it was chromatic but did you design it to be able to do those variations or did you like no, I, well i didn't thought i was gonna have to do that at the time <laughs> right. i thought this sounds cool like this in 30 seconds you know right <laughs> I, I didn't so that was that was yeah that was a later problem for you yeah it's like oh <laughs> like wow i have to you know make this emotional and so i i i tried my best yeah, no, I think you did an amazing job. So congratulations on on, on the series and on your score. Um, but I want to uh, jump over to Emily. Uh, you did something so interesting uh, for your upcoming project, Three Ways. You incorporated Morse code into your score. Mm -hmm. What was your inspiration behind that? And how did you use that to drive the narrative? Um, so so thank you so much for that question. Um, I actually started using Morse code in my work when I did an EP called Geometry. Um, and it's basically, it was an EP based on like all of the songs were um, shapes, the titles were shapes. And so I had finished the entire project and I was listening back to it, didn't feel like it was cohesive. And I was like, hey, let me just try building out the interludes using Morse code. And that's where I started developing like my Morse code technique, where I use and leverage Morse code as a language to build out motifs. So I, I did this in three ways, but I also do this in a lot of my other films that I work on as well. Um, but I'm a percussionist, like Morse code is very percussive. Um, yeah. And so even though even though the score for three ways is percussive, um, I still leverage Morse code to build out melodic lines and things that are distinct. And I find that it's easier to um, develop motifs and themes, especially ones that have meaning when you can spell out character names, places like you can really you can do anything. And so with three ways. The dominant motifs spelled out the number three, the word three, and then three sum. So I pretty much wow. did this like entire score on the drum set. Pretty much everything was percussive. I did, I had um guitar and stuff in there throughout, but the base of the score was actually like drum set, um, a lot of auxiliary percussion, vibraphone. Um, I used a lot of a few synths, like 808 synths that and stuff like that, but I mean. That's pretty much where that came from. And it's just been a really fun way to, um, like I said, attach meaning to the characters um, and, and to the themes that are within, you know, the work. That is so fascinating. I mean, I never <laughs> even heard anything like that. I'm curious, what what was the initial spark that, do, do you know, do you have uh, any familiarity with Morse code before that triggered you to bring that into music or what triggered you to initially go there in the first place? What was that inspiration? It's, it's really just me following my curiosity. Um, and yeah. like I said, I, I know, I don't know, like even the initial thought with incorporating it into my EP, something just, I don't know, something just told yeah. me like, just see what what happens with Morse code. Um, because actually I've, I've played around with it a lot, but I just never thought about incorporating it into my music. Um, and so when I did that and I just saw the results, I'm like, wait a minute, this can translate to film scoring because I feel like a lot of times, sometimes, you know, composers, we get stuck sometimes trying to find yeah. and develop themes and motifs. And so 
when you have a language to go to, to like spell things out or to just give you that initial jump start, and you can build things out melodically. You can do a lot of crazy progressions and all these types of things, but at least you have the rhythm. Um, and even sometimes when I, when I test certain like spellings out, maybe it's too long to create like a really distinct and succinct um, motif. Because the other thing is like motifs and themes are supposed to be memorable. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, um, yeah. And so the other thing is like, I learned with Hans Zimmer's masterclass. I just decided to watch that when he dropped that. And I, I, I never forgot him talking about like his process behind developing motifs and, and it being like a tune. If it's not something that somebody can like walk away and sing or just remember, it's like, dang, I don't know, does it work? You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah. And so I always try to keep them very short and succinct. So sometimes I'll boil down the names of characters to like acronyms or pull certain things out that still give you the meaning of the character um, or still align with the character in some kind of way. But it's not necessarily the full spelling, but sometimes it works. It just I just have to play with it. But I love it. I love it. Yeah, it that just, process must be so fun for you just to, <laughs> it to play is. around in there. Yeah. Well, that's, yeah. thank you for sharing that. It's so fascinating. I've never yeah. heard anything <laughs> like that. That's crazy. <laughs> um, I want to dive into video games for a bit. So, uh, Alex, you have um, a wide variety of projects uh, under your belt, including writing a song for the video game Deathloop. Uh, what was your price? What was your process for writing its theme, uh, Deja Vu? How's it like? What's my price? Ooh, let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, how much? How much for that song? <laughs> um yeah it was uh sorry i'm still very fascinated uh emily the morse code thing is so cool um sorry I know, I'm just, it's so cool like <laughs> thank you just doing all that. that's really really cool um yeah so i think in the scope and like the conversation i think today anyway just like thematically emo what it's what's emotive and how right. can that kind of over arc exist throughout uh any form of composition for media in general i feel like really the succinctness um like emily you know touched on having it be earworm candy and even actually mm. dan when you mentioned the pop music world you know the original intention of going out to la um i've dabbled as a producer in the pop realm um and as an artist and i feel like it again applies actually in that space as well um so when i was when i created deja vu this was the exact same principle um where you want to be able to have the listener's attention grabbed uh lyrically in addition to harmonically and melodically um i'm also a huge fan and i just think collaboration in general like for me anyway the most fruitful projects have been a direct result of collaborative process and i think i, ha I was just so uh fortunate uh to have gotten to work with chris kovacs and the two of us were able to kind of spin ideas off of one another in terms of what could work thematically for deja vu in the yeah. greater landscape of this video game which uh for anyone who you know is less familiar um it's basically if you've seen kind of groundhog day great classic film uh if you haven't you should do that too um but it's uh it's this cyclic kind of nature where um again and again the main character colt wakes up every day and is stuck on uh, this island um and he has to kind of get through all of the events of the video game and if he doesn't do it in time it restarts itself and another day begins so it's set in the 70s as well or that's it's very reminiscent um of the 70s and we went with a very Bond-esque sort of direction um, with with the theme as well. And that was a big factor. And I loved it because it, it really enabled me to, to play in a space um, that sometimes, you know, uh, it feels self-indulgent. I'm just going to create like a Bond song, you know? So yeah. this was like a real um, intention. And this is why uh, I'm doing this, not just for my own self. You know, it's not a good enough reason. So getting to play in that space was very rewarding. And ultimately it was about uh, threading the needle in terms of um, what is going to grip the listener and the experience of the game the gamer themselves but also help tell the story so deja vu i don't have to i maybe i do the meaning behind deja vu like the definition is uh it happened it, it already happened so this was sort of the the concept lyrically and then that expanded into what we did uh musically and there's 
I mean, calls to big brass, um, you know, soaring strings, and then also this electronic presence to help, you know, capture the momentum. Um, I work a lot in the trailer space, like the trailer world as well. So whenever you're, you know, I think with a hook, if you have a compressed amount of time, um, it's really about uh, how can we tell this story as effectively with the time that we're given. So with any yeah. project, whether it's an hour project where you can, you know, stretch it out and really unfold, uh, coax the listener into the theme, or you have, you know, this is a theme song. This, you have cap three minutes, go. Um, it's about telling the story in the most compelling way possible. So yeah, it was a, it was a, real, awesome. a real treat. Yeah. 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 I mean, definitely. Was, I mean, the, the art direction of that game is fantastic. I mean, it's just incredible. Just uh, giving you that canvas to like, you know, inspire that. It's just, yeah, it's a fantastic game from, I think Arkham, right? Arkham did it. It was an Arkham Studios game. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which is great. Um, uh, Dan, I want to jump over to you. You you also scored uh, a video game. How did you approach uh, composing the music for the video game Cobra of Kai 2 Dojo's Rising, which is based on the beloved franchise. Uh, did you take any inspiration from the original Karate Kid films or the Cobra Kai series at all? Or did you try to do something just brand new for that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I um, you know, I, I worked on the music on the video game with Zach Robinson and Leo Berenberg, who are the composers oh, nice. of Cobra Kai. You know, so they are kind of across like all the Cobra Kai stuff. So that, you know, it's very authentic to kind of the original vision for the show, um, you know, and one of the cool things about the music for the show is Zach and Leo are both really big video game music fans. And a lot of that has kind of seeped into the show just because of like, you know, the music uh, influences yeah. they love. And there's this kind of whole 80s aesthetic and, you know, it all sort of ties together. And, you know, the, you know, we all love, you know, the the score to, you know, like Streets of Rage video game or like the Power Rangers video game on the Super Nintendo. And all these things are like things that actually are, you know, they find their way into the Cobra Kai show, but also, you know, the video game as well. And in the video game, it's sort of like this weird cyclical thing where the show is influenced by games so much, but now we're doing a game that's based on the show. So it's like, it kind of ends up being this one big, like love letter to video game music in a way, but all sort of like filtered through like the Cobra Kai palette, you know, which is all kind of like, you know, rock and kind of hair metal and power metal and, you know, and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of sort of, uh, kind of like taking inspiration from some of our favorite games and kind of putting them in like the Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai, fi you know, yeah. all of it, you know, and I particularly really love, um, I'm a, I'm a huge, I'm a big gamer. Uh, so I, I'm a, I'm, I'm big into all that. And I really love all the music, um, from the final fantasy video games. Oh, so, yeah, yeah, so yeah. we did a couple pieces and there was a specific piece that I, wrote that was um like a boss fight theme and i really just love like boss fight music there's just something about it especially like from the final fantasy game so i got to really just like flex my muscle be like okay, i want to do like a cobra kai version of a final fantasy boss fight and that's basically what i did uh and it turned out really well and that was sort of a very uh kind of exciting uh you know creative thing to do that's awesome yeah the final fantasy scores are just amazing and i've actually been on a yeah. video game fix i've been going back and watching all these like uh, orchestras doing like Donkey Kong and oh, Diddy yeah. Kong and all these things. I actually just did a retrospective with Graham and Grant looking back at GoldenEye 64 and we were just oh, wow. nerding out yeah. about the early days of Rare, which is, you know, how they tried to break <laughs> into that. They had no idea what they're doing out in the English countryside. They had no idea they were making one of the most iconic yeah. games. <laughs> so funny. Well, something um, about, you know, something about the game music that I love is, yeah. you know, it's classically very kind of like melodically focused. They're almost like little songs and it's sort of like yeah. an opportunity to like, for me, flex some of that you know, the stuff I originally came out here to do, like kind of produce songs in a way. So it's a little bit, it's, it's a way to kind of get some of that stuff. And it has, it, it has advanced so quickly and so fast as technology, you know, from, from when we were kids to now, what you can do with a game score versus, you know, looking back at Mario or, you know, just the Game Boy and stuff like that, which is absolutely crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to uh, open up to another kind of go around the room type thing of question. I know we talked about some, when we talked about the first question about maybe some inspirations, of what got you into film music, but I'm curious if there's any other examples that you can pull from your memory of films that uh, have a score that really drive the story forward, that's really kind of pushing it forward. I know we mentioned like uh, Time from Inception and Jurassic Park, but I'm curious if there's anything like specific scores that live in your mind and your heart that really just like, they it makes the film and without the film or without the score, the film is, is nothing. So I'm curious, uh, Emily, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, so this isn't a film, this is a TV show, but yeah. um, 
this is actually a, something that came out more recently, but I really love the score to Flight Attendant on HBO, Blake Neely. Yeah. Um, oh my God. That score is probably one of the, the most distinct and one of the most interesting scores that I've heard in a while, like in a TV show. And it's very bold and risky. Um, yeah. because that, that is very like percussive. And I think Blake used the prepared piano for that score as well. Um, so it's just, I love that score. Like that's definitely top of mind. Um, and I think even Black Panther, I really love the way um, that is built. The themes, I, I love the oh. way that the themes are built for the characters um, and how they evolve over time. And to be honest, what's interesting about that score is that it actually reminds me of how the themes are built out for the Star Wars um, movies just in terms of how they grow and develop and change really beautifully over time, over the course of the films. Um, but yeah, those are like, those are my top two. And also also Devotion, um, which is a, another recent uh, film that just came out. Uh, Chanda Dancy did that score as well, but oh, those are like my top brilliant. three that I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I love, it's a hybrid score. I really love the blending of like the traditional classical elements in addition to um, the incorporation of like the, the newer elements, the electronic and, and, um, uh, Ludwig does that very beautifully too with Black Panther. Like I love, yeah, just <laughs> no, yeah. Shonda, Shonda, I feel like it, yeah, overshadowed from Top Gun last year for that that thing. But like her score was so good. I interviewed her as it will be coming out uh, the next issue of the score for for the winter. So definitely look look for it in there. But yeah. we talked about devotion and broke it down. It was absolutely stunning. Um, uh, Juan Carlos, I'm car curious yes. about you. Any anything? Any other uh, examples outside of uh, Jurassic Park? <laughs> Well, I two, two or three come to mind. Uh, one of them is uh, Band of Brothers, a miniseries by Michael Caine. Oh. I loved how he approached that miniseries, and and the use of music was just on point on where it comes in, what mood is it showing, like the sorrow, the sadness, the horror, uh, the camaraderie. Um, uh nostalgia everything it's just so on point of how he approached that miniseries and the main titles of course the end titles everything i love about it another one is john powell um how to train your dragon i'm a oh. fan of john powell everything yeah it's one of my biggest influences and he's just a master of, of thematic writing and how to orchestrate it and and just propel the story forward like like we're talking about uh, so effortless his writing is feels like I you know as probably all of you have probably bought the score and I'm like how how did people do this like I'm trying to make mental note okay I'm gonna take this uh, woodwinds flourish for later this is my <laughs> for later <laughs> and 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 also recently I I had the pleasure and honor of working on on Magia and the Three and Netflix miniseries. Uh, by team, with teams by Gustavo Santolaya and mm, scored yeah. by Tim Davis. I was hired to do uh, to work on them as an additional composer and more on the Latin stuff, more Mexican ethnic regional aspect of the soundtrack. And Gustavo wrote some incredible things. And and team, it was like interesting to see the separation of like the teams by Gustavo Santolaya and the score by Tim Davis and how team use the themes to propel the story forward on each episode. And then I also had a little bit of chance to like, oh, I'm going to borrow this from Gustavo and this from Tim and and try to also push the story forward for my scenes. So those are a few examples that come to mind. Yeah, uh, Gustavo's uh, so interesting. I interviewed him too, and he, he he specifically likes to write away from picture. He likes to, Same. that's his pro that's his process. He <laughs> likes to go away. Yeah, and then he just takes it and then you can form it. And, but writing away, he says he gets so much more just just letting it flow out of them that's yeah yeah on that on that score uh there was a lot of like uh music editing of the of the stems of gustavo and and so they used it against picture but yeah he sent all this like batch of themes that really yeah. captured the essence of each character based on only like artwork and stuff like that so it was really it's impressive and yeah something i'm learning from absolutely yeah those are great examples um alex how about yourself <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think, um, yeah, the John Powell thing is uh, definitely resonates for me. Um, I I was studying at one point uh, the score for Chicken Run, I feel like. It was Chicken yeah. I love Chicken Run, a phenomenal film. Uh, anyway, yes. 
Craig Gregson Williams, John Powell. And I think uh, just, yeah, the interweaving of the thematic content also orchestrating it. I just wrapped the Los Angeles film conducting intensive recently. So like I really, you know, looking at orchestration and just from the standpoint of the, the gamut of the orchestra and what works, what doesn't work and being able to, yeah, interweave that fabric seamlessly, I feel like is something, it's a, it's a real skill set. And so, and with Chicken Run too, uh, it's actually paying homage to like Elmer Bernstein, like The Great Escape. Yeah, The Great Escape, um, so it's so very it's Great Escape. Like a nugget <laughs> within a nugget, which is just really, really uh, I think it's there's some serious skill sets behind that. So I think that's really cool. Um, but yeah, I think recently, well, I think the uh, White Lotus, uh, oh, you know, first of all, Tapi Devere, he's from Montreal too. So I'm kind oh, of the Canadian. Yes. So I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Um, so I just think uh, the exploration and experimentation um, and being able to use yodel. I'm a vocalist as well. So whenever I hear the use of vocals, like Emil Masseri too, and Kajillionaire, the use of vocals and yeah. how they, how they're manipulated. Um, so they, they don't necessarily sound like vocals. I just, I, it's fascinating and just very, very effective. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited, um, right now more than ever. I think the landscape is just like, um, in some regards, there are always going to be ceilings, but they're there to punch, punch through. Here's my ceiling, yeah. I guess. You know, they yeah, have, yeah. That white, that white lotus the main title just when it like, kicks off, and in the and then his co-composer in the second season was uh, she was I think his assistant. I, I can't remember her name right off the top of my head, but she did a fantastic job with the stuff on that. And but yeah, the he told me it was Mike White wanted Hawaiian Hitchcock, and that's what he came up with. So I was just like, what? I love it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But uh, Dan, how about yourself? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think in recent years, a, a score that has really, I think, grabbed me um, is Johnny Greenwood's score to the film Phantom Thread. And I just, oh, love, yeah. I mean, I love everything Johnny Greenwood. I'm just, I'm obsessed. And he's one of like the, he's one of my favorites for sure. But that score in particular, I, I love because I think he does a really cool thing where he kind of is like limited to a sort of like, almost like period accurate palette in a way but then the and, and some of the music is very you know romantic but then a lot of it is very kind of minimalist and modern and um using kind of like musical devices that remind me of like radiohead you know but just the yeah the the the, the palette and the instruments are or not you know and it's kind of this like chamber music thing and i think that kind of device of you know using a, cer a certain sort of ensemble but then writing something that is like kind of modern or, or not not what you would think of when you think of that ensemble uh is very cool it's something i've tried to do in, in my own work as well and that's sort of like a to me a little bit of a guiding light sometimes is thinking about that score and how he kind of um creates that but also it's cool too because i feel like you you know I, I said oh it reminds me of radiohead well he obviously he's part of radiohead and it's just cool that he has such a voice that yeah. he can write for all these different things but you can kind of really like feel that it's him doing it um I think that's a very cool thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, those are awesome. I mean, that that kind of yeah, I love that. that's a nice like uh, rush of uh, examples to kind of fuel our conversation into the next uh, section. I want to jump back and talk about all your work again. So let's. I want to Juan Carlos jump over back to you. Um, you also composed Netflix's crime series, The Secret of the the Greco Family, which has a, a completely different tone than Till uh, Jail Duo's part. In the series, the house plays a major role. Can you walk us through your scoring process for an environment like the house? Yes, so that that like you said, it's a different score from Till Jail Duo's part. It's it's about these real events that happened in Argentina in the eighties, where a wealthy family had financial troubles, and they had the idea of kidnapping the kids of their friends, like high school kids and young kids, um, uh, to ask for ransom money, and it happened in real life. So it was uh, and me from Mexico, where there's a lot of. Uh, kidnappings happening and the cartels and everything it's a it was a really interesting story to pull music ideas from and and they keep the hostages in the house so the house was throughout the series a big character basically of, of the series yeah. so i besides using uh, traditional instrumentation uh i i use the sounds of of locks door door locks being open and closed uh doors being open and closed chains also uh, as percussive elements and almost like musical sound design elements uh, that hybrid 
um, there in the house there's a piano where the the some of the characters are learning how to play piano, and I use the piano in a very disturbing way, kind of like an uh, prepared piano kind of sounds and and just yeah. banging on the piano like it it was like the hostages banging on the door. So that sort of um, I use elements from the house or and also from the basement where the, the hostages were being kept as a recurring uh, musical device through the score. That's that's so fascinating. I mean, I love how when sometimes when you can how you can take something like that from the narrative and actually put it into your music to help support a narrative that's kind of cycle of things. And I love when that works and it can happen. So that's awesome that you're able to do that. <laughs> um, uh, also, I want to mention also that, you know, collaborating with directors on these projects is an important part of the scoring process. So Emily, uh, what was the dynamic like between you and the director of Three Ways and how did that collaboration influence your score? Yeah, so um, Jamal Dado is the director for Three Ways, and um, the collaboration process with him was actually very fluid. He he emailed me um, and said that the reference for the film was Jackie Brown, which doesn't have a score. So right. I was like, okay, bet it's wide open. <laughs> this is a this was my first comedy, by the way, and. In my in the back of my mind, um, I immediately <laughs> knew that I had to be very delicate with comedy because comedy is kind of like a hit or miss with music. Um, and so even just talking back and forth with him and also he has very excellent taste in music, which is well, I don't want to say that, but I feel like it's sometimes it can be rare with directors because it's a very scary process for them, the music yeah. part. Um, yeah. And so. The fact that he had very strong ideas, but he was willing to kind of let me experiment and he trust he trusted my musical voice. It made it very easy to kind of bring things to the table and just kind of go and push and just throw the pen at the wall and take the risk. And it just came out beautifully. And he he also kind of um he didn't micromanage or just, you know, ask me every five seconds, like, hey, what's this? What's that? It's just like, I'm gonna let you do you and you know. I feel like that was just a really beautiful um, collaborative process. And even, even um, when it came to talking to him beforehand about what he liked musically, um, and even in the beginning when he sent me the cut, he had some stuff cut to picture, like some temp stuff cut to picture. Um, really, it was the syncs that we used in the film, um, which mm. I thought was really interesting, which gave me an idea of like what his taste in music was. And I'm like, OK, I'm I'm dealing with somebody who really knows music here. Um, but, yeah, it was it was very fluid. Probably one of my favorite collaborations to date. Like Jamal is awesome. <laughs> He's awesome. awesome to hear. Yeah, because I've, yeah. I've heard stories where they've worked with direct like composers work with director and the director is a musician and that can be also a nightmare because they can come in and be like start micromanaging and be like oh yeah no do this and downshift to that or you know use this minor third or blah blah, blah you know when they start where it, instead i think what you're looking yeah. for is just their direction what they are feeling and then you translate that and you know into doing your process which seems like he gave you the freedom to do that which sounds awesome <laughs> yeah yeah i mean he's just he's a risk taker himself and i'm just i just love working with people who are um creatively bold they like taking risks they give you space to take risks which with this score is pretty much, like I said, it's like, it's like, um, drum set, like Birdman was, you know what I'm saying? Plus yeah, or minus a yeah. few things. So, you know, for him to give me the space to do that and to trust that things will work or if they don't work, you don't know, like when you're making something, you right. just don't know until you release it into the world. And so, um, when we screened it at festivals and even just now the response with it being out, you know, the, the music itself is actually a, a character as well. Um, um, which, you know, like I said, Jamal gave me the space to experiment and explore. So yeah, that was, that was a fun, a fun time with Jamal. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. uh, I wanna, uh, Dan, I want to jump over to you. You recently rescored, rescored the 1918 silent film Johanna and List for the Mary Pickford Foundation. How did you approach the challenge of rescoring a film considered, you know, considering the film is over a hundred years old and it's silent. So I'm curious how you approach that, you know, being, a modern composer today looking at something back from history like that and what kind of techniques and approach did you take to that yeah i mean it was it was obviously you know a, a bit of a crazy uh thing to think about even approaching you know doing uh you know the the mary pickford foundation you know they've been they've been wanting to you kind know, of restore a bunch of these old films and um 
you know, finding uh, composers to do uh, new scores. And, you know, they're very, they specifically, they, they hate silent film music. So, you know, the whole thing is, let's not make this silent film music. Right. But, but you know, obviously, if you start doing like a synth score on a silent <laughs> film, it starts to, you know, it starts to feel like some kind of exhibit, like an art museum. It, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so it's sort of, it's sort of a challenge of like, you know, and, and that was the big question, even approaching this, you know, how, how that, that was the big question for me is how to even approach doing something like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and I guess the answer was, you know, so the film, it, it's a, it's a rom-com, you know, or at least the equivalent of a rom-com, you know, in 1918, because, you know, it, things are a little different now, but it was, it was under the banner of like a comedy, romantic comedy, um, takes place on a farm, you know, so, and there's like a, 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 a sort of whole, you know, the story is Joanna, she lives on a farm, she's, She's sick of her boring life with her, you know, farm, you know, you know, family, and she's looking for love. And then the second she's the most forlorn, a whole troop of soldiers marches into the into the onto the farm, and it's a they it's before their ship they're shipping out to World War One, and they need a place to stay for a bit. And she gets in this like love triangle with um, some of the soldiers. So, you know, I was kind of I was trying to incorporate a few different things, and I think one of the one of the things I was holding onto was this idea of the farm and the setting. So I kind of leaned into a bit of bluegrass music and a lot of bluegrass mm -hmm. music. I love to kind of uh, represent that. And then we have the soldiers, which has this bit of like a patriotic thing. So I kind of um, implemented a little, a little bit of like Copeland-esque Americana too. So it kind of has this two things going on, like this bluegrass and, uh, you know, this kind of light orchestral kind of Americana type of stuff. Um, and that was kind of the palette. And then to actually go about scoring it was obviously very... Uh, overwhelming to have you know this 63 minute long stretch of just blankness and you know got to just fill that with music and i really did i mean to kind of bring it to the theme of this panel it really was all about the themes um and it you know i came up with a couple of themes at the outset and i was really holding on to those things for dear life seriously because it was like every cue every cue was was one of the themes you know and it, and it kind of became a challenge for me of like how how far can i stretch and distort and like mangle and like abuse these themes to kind of like generate all this music that it like has this kind of backbone of something that's like, you know, the same and like, you know, relating in, you know, the themes for the characters are all, you know, consistent. And it was sort of a really fun challenge to see like how far I could twist some of these things and kind of, <laughs> you know, iterate on these things for 63 minutes long. And, you know, I, I don't think it gets boring with the music. Like I think it stays fresh, but I really am repeating these themes constantly. So I think it's a cool, testament to like if you have a cool theme or a simple theme yeah and i think that's the key is it not make it something that's too complicated it's very simple you can like reharmonize it you could change the meter you could change the style you can kind of do a lot of stuff to sort of abuse it basically you know uh to, oh, yeah. to, to to get you know what you need but yeah and i love that you're saying simple because i feel like a lot of people might take that as like oh that's like a negative uh description of something where but it's like that's the harder thing to do it's to do more right. with less and right and shrink it down it's it's easy to kind of throw everything at the wall and just see what works and just keep it there but um to do something more simple and that's the, oh yeah as you mentioned there's the ones that stick with you and they're more memorable for sure yeah yeah and i something i found is you just have a little more flexibility if the theme is simple you know you can yeah you can kind of like alter it more you can kind of re-imagine it more you can reharmonize it more easily uh you know stuff like that so as opposed yeah. to chromatic <laughs> yeah right right right, right. Yeah, you know Fun what too just simple oh. next time <laughs> You, you know, I want to say something about the simplicity, because even like with with, um, you know, aspiring film composers, like sometimes when you're really proficient just at music, you have this tendency to like overcompose or like try to communicate that you're really good. But yeah. what I've had to learn over time, especially with like film and TV, is that music is a design element. It's it's supposed to function a certain way. And so really the most beautiful things in life that function really well are the simplest. And, and that's what like, I have to continue to remind myself is like, you don't, people already know that you can make the music, but is it right? Does it work? Does it function yeah. properly? And so simplicity is like a huge thing, a huge thing. So I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because 
Yeah. That's important. Yeah, <laughs> and that, yeah, that's yeah. a good point you're making too, because I think a lot of uh, composers come out and they have, you know, you, when you come out of college, you have a sense of ego maybe about yourself, but it's always about the film. And I remember Silvestri told me a story where on one of his first projects, he was like thinking he was kicking ass and doing things. And the producer pulled him aside. He's like, what the hell are you doing out there? It's like, this is not about you. And he's like, he's like, I remember that for the rest of my life. And that's how I've always, you know, it's like, you need to service the film, not yourself, but also, but then the simplicity as well, for sure. Um, so now as we're nearing the end of our panel, I, I know I have to ask about what all of you are working on next. And Alex, I want to start with you because I hear you're working on a new documentary called I Was Here. And I was wondering if you can tell us anything anything about it, you know, give us a little uh, taste of what, what we can expect. Yeah. What I what I can share, what I can share, what I can share yeah. is uh it's uh well it's it's based on uh a woman's um big life event that it's uh it really impacted her and her family and it's a sensitive subject. Um, and she had to undergo surgery and it's about her reclaiming her body, the space that she's in internally and externally, how that translates. And, uh, I think from the thematic standpoint, um, in terms of talk of simplicity and the impact that simplicity can have, if it transcends, um, you know, it's been a process of using, you know, I think the theme is like only a couple notes, Maybe it's like three or four notes, really. Um, and then it's the unfolding of this little mini motive over the course of the the journey of the story. And I think with anything, I mean, it's always about telling the story in the most compelling way. Absolutely. Um, in documentaries or in real life events, I think it's there's a level of importance and significance surrounding respect of the content and respect of, you know, it's not just a fictitious character. Um, so honoring that and honoring, honoring that people, uh, when they decide to share their story, um, there is great vulnerability in that. And so I think in terms of the music standpoint, uh, it was, you know, ensuring that that, um, honoring was present throughout or is present throughout actually, cause I'm, it's, we're in real time working on, um, and I've really been enjoying the process. Uh, the, one of the producer who brought me in on the project has, uh, you know, personal relations to, uh, the lead. Uh, and so I think kind of my process of creating the theme itself was a lot of conversations, you know, just surrounding, and they don't actually know music terms much. They, they, that's what they right. led with. And I think that was fine. That was great, actually, because yeah. if they use colors uh, or references external to the music world, um, a book or a show, anything that is uh, evocative of uh, a certain atmosphere or vibe um, is great to go off of in terms of uh, as long as there's like an energy um, picking up and dialing into that frequency of that energy, I think is all that really matters, at least in this process for me thus far. Um, and yeah, so, I mean, I use some vocal elements. Um, I can't help it actually. I really can't help it. And it's, it's really, it's, it's great. It's great. I, I like when, um, I'm given space to play, uh, yeah. you know, I think that's a gift, but then also, um, I don't like to think of it as uh, parameters in a in a negative way. It's more the sandbox to which we are playing in, because sometimes I think when we're given um, certain uh, certain this this is the this is the area to which we're going to be playing in um, boundaries. Boundary you create out of um, it's. I mean. I think was it Stravinsky talking about like limitations and how actually we can under duress or under, you know, the limitation of something uh, is born, um, you know, the most creative, a profound, hopefully profound um, ideas. And yeah. I kind of, I kind of agree with that. I think uh, sometimes in speaking to the, maybe uh, sometimes the ego self-indulgence um, aspect, it's very humbling to be working in a particular space and, or emotional palette, uh, because you never really know what's going to come out of it because out of sheer necessity. Um, and so that's kind of been the process. It's playing the gift of the freedom to run and play in a space, but the space has been given. Uh, yeah. so, so that's been the process so far, but yeah, it's, I'm really enjoying it. And, um, yeah, I hope to do more uh, in the documentary 
space, to be honest. It's been good taste, good taste. Yeah. Yeah. No, do- the doc space is amazing. And I've uh, interviewed a bunch of amazing composers who've worked in that space and, and yeah, it takes a little bit of nuance. And it's the same approach you're taking, you know, you have your characters, which are your subjects, but again, it's real people's lives and it's a real thing. So you do have to be respectful and, and, you know, all that stuff, but you know, and thanks for uh, t- giving us a little uh, in-depth look at that. We can't, I can't wait. <laughs> um, but let's, uh, Emily, let's uh, jump over to you. Is there anything that you can talk about that, uh, that we can look forward to that, you know, without breaking any, any NDAs or spoiling anything, but is there anything we can look forward to? <laughs> yeah. So I, I actually have um, quite a bit that I'm working on that will be out later this year. I can't necessarily say right now, um, but sure. definitely yeah. please stay tuned and um, stream Three Ways on Hulu. And also check out, if you haven't, Lizzo's Watch Out for the Big Girl series. I did the music for that. Um, season three, Step Up, um, I composed, co-composed with Stephanie Economu. Horror Noir, AMC Plus, no. Shudder. Um, you guys can go back and catch up because I've been here for a minute, but I'm just now kind of like emerging and bubbling on the surface. So yes, plenty of stuff for you guys to check out. But Absolutely. yeah, definitely please... Please stream three ways on Hulu. That is is going to be a fun time. Trust me. <laughs> Trust <laughs> Absolutely. Me. Um, uh, Dan, how about yourself? <laughs> Anything that we can look forward to? Yeah. So I, you know, a lot of the work um, I do these days, I work a lot with uh, Zach Robinson and Leo Berenberg doing a lot of additional music for them. Uh, uh, recently, we've been working a lot on and we're wrapping up the score to the Peacock show, Twisted Metal. Which is based off the uh, the old PlayStation game, uh, yeah, so that's something wrapped up. That. <laughs> it's going to be fun. It's a fun show. I, I've had my hands in that uh, for a bit, and it's been it's 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 fun. So um, stay tuned for that. And then uh, I have a few other things. Unfortunately, I can't uh, talk about, but you know, as it is. But uh, as it is, but, yeah, uh, sure. Yeah. That's awesome. We'll keep a lookout for sure. <laughs> uh, oh, we got a yeah guest appearance by yeah. your cat, which. I, this entire time my cat has been, I've been yeah. finally with my feet pushing. Oh, yeah. He's under my, he's it's, under my desk right it's now. It's the constant struggle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Juan Carlos, if you want to uh, uh, tell us, yeah, what's, what, what can we uh, look forward to in, in your world? Well, I can't say details or anything specific, but I'm really excited about this new project that's in the horizon for me, where I will be able to really lean into my Mexican heritage and, and lean into all the music that Mexico has to offer that's usually not featured too much in U.S. productions. Yeah. Uh, so I'm trying to push against the trend of 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 the cliches of what Mexican music is, or at least what the audience thinks Mexican music is or sounds like. Um, so I'm trying to be very authentic, and I'm grateful that the producers of the show are really interested in me bringing all this on, I will not say unknown, but just uh, not as heard sounds and textures and instruments and styles of Mexican music uh, to the U.S. audience. So I'm really excited about that. That's awesome. And it must be so, I mean, just creatively rewarding for you. I mean, that's just awesome. <laughs> so I can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, it's very, very creative rewarding for sure. Yes. Yeah. So uh, uh, as we end our discussion, I like to leave, you know, we have a lot of young listeners who are entering this field or just getting their foot in the door, getting started on their journey in, in this career. So I'm curious if you could give one piece of advice to a young composer who's maybe just out of college or maybe even just thinking about going to college or just, you know, getting their feet wet. What piece of advice would you give after everything you've kind of seen in your career so far? So Emily, I don't know if you want to kick us off. Yeah, um, my piece of advice is just to find your own voice um, because there are so many composers and the best way to stick out is to um, have your own voice and have something that is distinct that people know when they hear it, they know it's you. So that's definitely, yeah. that's that's my advice. No, very good advice. Yeah, be you, don't be somebody else. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and Alex, how about yourself? What piece of advice would you give to a young composer? Um. I think uh, I heard this when I was a bit younger. Although I think we're all still fairly young, anyway. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're yeah, we're we're doing all right. We're, no, we're not up there yet. <laughs> the skincare regime. We, we've gotten our feet wet a little bit. We can yeah. give some advice. <laughs> I think I heard when I was a bit younger, and it, it stuck with me. Don't compare your chapter one with someone else's chapter thirty. Mm. And I thought that was That's very great. to me at the time. It made an impact because. I, I mean, comparison is the thief of joy, right? Anyways, I think and 
you know, I think if you're going to compare yourself to somebody who is much further along in their career and then feel like, you know, a big dirt bag, you know, as a result, because yeah. you're like, not, how come I'm not, you know, there? Um, I, I think kind of keeping that um, piece of advice in the back pocket and reminding oneself of that is really important. Also, just no one's going to give you permission to occupy space. No one's going to be like, I dub thee, you are this, go. <laughs> So I feel like occupy space. Don't apologize. Yes. Go occupy space. Yeah. Yes, for sure. No, I agree with that completely. I always, I've, I've been lately just discussing with people how it's important to remember how long it takes to the whole chapter of 30. Yeah. It, you know, our careers and, and anything here, it just takes, I knew coming here, moving out here, I was like, you know, and it, it, it gets, it gets tough because you see all your friends who had like business degrees and they're buying houses and BMWs and having kids and you're still in a, a small apartment in North Hollywood. <laughs> you're just like, when's it going to, you know, but it does. And you just keep at it. And, you know, I'm 10, 11 years into living or doing this career in my career. So, and it's, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, it's hard and it takes determination, but yeah, I agree with that whole, don't compare your chapter one to chapter 30. That, that resonates big with me. Um, Dan, how about yourself? <laughs> Any a piece of advice? Yeah, sure. I mean, I think maybe, you know, two things I think about a lot are, are one, um, you know, I think being a composer can be a very kind of solitary thing in a sense, you know, you spend your day in your studio, you know, it could be long hours. And I think it's important to like, despite all that, you have to, you, you have to get out in the world, you know, to meet people. And, and, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the things like the, the best things I've worked on, a lot of the, the things that have brought me forward the most are the, you know, relationships I've made in just real life space, you know, through whatever means. But I think that's just really important, whatever, whatever however that would apply, uh, you know, to you. But, um, you know, and then the other thing too, is I, I think it's uh, the, the, what Alex said, you know, about just the time, you know, I think it just takes a long time. You know, I think it yeah. just, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, if, if you, at least for me, it's like, I always feel like year after year, I look back, I'm like, oh, you know what? I did a lot this year. You know, even if it, I'm not doing like all the amazing things I, you know, set out to do originally yet, you know, it's Chicken already, too. yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and it's like, uh, it's just kind of measuring, like, look, it's like, you're playing golf, you know, you know, it's like, you're, you're playing really against yourself. So it's sort of, are you making sure you feel like you're it's about your progress, you know, and what, right. what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Juan Carlos, why don't you finish this off? Any piece of advice that you would give to a young composer? Well, this is something I'm still working on myself, and it's related to a bit of every, what every, everyone has said so far, is yeah. to trust um, your taste, your gut, mm -hmm. in what you're working on. Uh, probably, um, if you like it, Probably other people will also like it. Don't doubt it in the moment. Just go for it. Um, because early in our careers, at least I did, I was like emulating John Powell, emulating Hans Zimmer, emulating all these greats. Um, and I was like, sometimes hesitant. No, Hans Zimmer will not do this. So, so you know, to put an example. So I'm learning to let go of those like uh, chains of in my mind when I'm composing and just do what I think yeah. works best my what i like my taste and that might be something strange sometimes i'm working on something and it's like well i've never heard this other people do it so it feels almost like is it okay to do it you know but, yeah but what, when when i have done it in projects like my gender three everyone is like oh that was my favorite cue so so i'm still learning to to trust my taste yeah, I think uh, all, I mean, all of us probably have worked on self-doubt and confidence and building that. And especially as a composer, you come in usually last minute or when everything is coming together and it's a mad rush and you, there's a lot of rejection involved. So it can always just, you know, hit you hard. And especially since music comes from here and you guys are being so vulnerable when you share things, it can always feel like something personal. But I always try to remember that, you know, in this business, you can't, Try not to take it personally. You can let it sting. You can let your feelings you can feel, but you know, just you know, but I love that you yeah, trust your gut and be you. And I think I forget, I think Emily or Alex, you said something about the beginning, like, yeah, don't don't try to be someone else, be yourself. And you yeah, and Emily, you talk about finding your voice and and I think that's just a very important thing. Like, yeah, be yourself. Um, but thank you everybody tonight. Thank you for so much for being here, you know, for this amazing awesome discussion so i mean dan alex emily juan carlos thank you so much for all your insight and your expertise and and being open and and just 
it was just a, a, a great time. And I want to thank our friends at Impact 24 for helping co-produce this uh, with uh, Film Music Media and putting this panel together. And thank you all for watching. You can check out the rest of the panels at uh, filmmusicmedia.com. So thanks, everybody. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. Thank you.